Thank you. All right, good morning. Yeah, good to see you guys. Nice crowd. Had a good crowd for service, too. All right, uh, we are in a series. If it's your first time, welcome. And, and we're kind of in the middle of a series in, on the fruit of the Spirit uh, from Galatians 5.22. And the fruit of the Spirit, you guys know what they are yet? Can you repeat them? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kindness goodness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control. All right, so we kind of got it backwards today. I'm going to do, uh, I'm doing gentleness today. It should be faithfulness. It's Janie's fault. So I'm going to blame Janie. <laughs> so, no. But so we're going to do gentleness today. So you know what? If you're, maybe you're visiting, maybe this message is just for you. Maybe you need to, to hear about gentleness today. Um, gentleness, though, really? Come on. Why is that so important? You know, as we get into this, you're going to see that gentleness is, uh, it's extremely important. It's a big deal. Um, and usually when we think about, you know, gentleness, it's like, guys check out. They're like, ah, it's, gentle people are sissies. And so they just, they just check out. It's like, there's, it doesn't seem like there's any power in the word gentleness. But as we look into it, we're going to, we're going to be looking at three things today. We're going to be looking at um, the, the spirit and the attitude of a gentle soul. That's the first point. The attitude of a, of a gentle soul. What, what it does, you know, why it's important. And then and secondly, uh, gentleness is a little more complicated than you think. It's multifaceted. It is extremely complex. And, and pay attention to this. Gentleness is crucial for your salvation. So you got to pay attention. It's a big deal. And then lastly, how do we actually increase in gentleness? You know, we need, to, we need to become gentler people. And so this is what we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at those three things. So let's, just, let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, what is the gentle spirit? What is this, uh, the gentle soul? And again, guys don't, guys don't really identify with being gentle. It's like, you know, gentle people are sissies. If you want to get stuff accomplished in this world, you're harsh, you're black and white, you drive, you're driven, you roll over people, you just make things happen. That's how things get done in this world. And what, nice guys finish what? Last, okay? So this is, this is the attitude of, of why, uh, why we're not, why, why I've never preached a message on gentleness, right? <laughs> I've never preached a message on gentleness before. But it's fruit. It is spiritual fruit. And as we're gonna see today, it's... Um, there are gentle people. How many people know gentle people? Your neighbors or whatever. How many people know gentle people that don't know the Lord? You do, don't you? Interesting, huh? So there's, there's the gentle attitude that, or the gentle person, but then there's, this, the, there's the gentle spirit. There's the gentle soul. There's the fruit of the spirit. And so maybe you are not naturally a gentle person. Maybe you're harsh. Maybe you're rough around the edges. But I got, I got a word for you today. God has called you to be gentle. He's calling you to grow in the likeness of Christ, into the graces of who Christ is. And that is to be gentle. There's a couple of key verses that we all want to look at today. Um, First is Ephesians 4.2. It says, be humble and gentle. It's interesting that Paul uses hum humble and gentle together. It says, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. 
That's what the gentle spirit does. That's what the gentle soul does. So if you are captured by Christ's love, and if you want to, if you want to love people well, what do you have to do? You have to allow people to have their faults. That's not fun to do. If you want to love people, you have to allow them to be annoying. You have to give them the space to rub you the wrong way. Not just in your family, and not just in work, not just, not just in church, but in work too. Do you know that even in your work environment or even in a school environment, you might have every right to be dang right, right? You might have every right to be dang right, right? This is the Department of Redundancy Department. Um, I'm glad you got that. Um, Gentle people get more accomplished. Gentle people in any environment, uh, maybe it won't pay off short term, but long term it pays off. And even if you are completely justified in getting your pound of flesh or being right or winning an argument, that might not be the best thing. The gentle soul knows better. The gentle soul will function in wisdom. It's a spiritual gift, spiritual fruit. The gentle soul will function in wisdom. The natural man doesn't. The natural man wants to win. Second verse on this. You guys, you guys servants? Are you guys servants? All right, listen. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. 2 Timothy 2, 24. The servant of the Lord must not strive. What does that mean? Look, um, there, strive. You're driven. You're, you're, you know what? You're going you're gonna to get things done with the power of your own will. You're ambitious. There's nothing wrong with having a drive. There's nothing wrong with having a strong work ethic. There's nothing wrong with wanting to succeed and be successful. That's how God made us. He actually made us eternal. Our bodies were made to live forever. And so we, we want to drive in that area. But what Paul is talking about here, he is talking about something that is selfish. See, we, we have a, we're driven to outdo people. Competition in and of itself is not bad, but to destroy people is dangerous. Okay, so the servant must not strive. He not, must not have that attitude like, I'm going to get ahead of other people. That, a servant doesn't do that. But be gentle unto all men and women. Servant is gentle. He has this gentle attitude. She has this gentle attitude, this gentle spirit, this sweetness of soul. Apt to teach and to be teachable. So the gentle soul can teach and instruct in a healthy way, not in a condescending way, but actually want to improve somebody else. And the gentle soul is also teachable. That's tough to do. We'll get into that in a sec. Okay? Gentle unto all men and patient. Okay, and then here's the good one. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, 
Church, you know what your heart is. The heart is the center of who you are. It goes beyond your emotions. It goes beyond your character. It goes beyond your will and your drive and you know, all of your problems. Your heart is the very center of who you are. It's your, it's your spirit. Your heart. In your heart, make Jesus Lord. Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Okay, so in this world, people ought to see the light that's in your eyes. They, they've got, if you're doing this thing right, if, you're, if, you are, if you are growing in the graces, if you're growing in the fruit of the Spirit, if you're, if you're, if you're taking on a spirituality that is organic, people are going to see it. They're going, to be grav- they're going to gravitate towards you. They're going to want to know what is the explanation of this hope that, that I see in you. But here's the thing. They're carnal. They're of the world. They're cynical. They, they doubt. They, they, are, they are in a system that is mean and abusive. And so, yeah, they're going to be attracted to the hope that is in you. Yet... They're gonna, they're gonna want to argue. They're gonna want to. They're gonna. Wanna, they're gonna want to debate. And what what Peter is saying, he's saying, look, you need to be able to give a defense for your faith. You need to be able to say, this is why I have this hope in my heart because of what Jesus has done. I have this hope. Paul says you need to be able to give a defense for your faith in season and out of season. We, this is the area of apologetics. But when we respond, church, Christians, do we respond in this way? Peter says, but do this with gentleness and respect. So you have an unbeliever, you have an atheist, you have your pagan heathen friends that that are somewhat curious about you. Maybe they have a, a worldview that is very relevant, that is very... Polly everything. Everything is okay. I'm just curious about everything. I just happen to be curious about your faith. I happen to be curious about Jesus. I'm okay with Jesus. I'm also okay with every other single religion and philosophy and life philosophy. And, and, and so I'm just curious. How do we respond? Church is getting this wrong, folks. Church gets this wrong, wrong, wrong. Because we, 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 we bring out our canon. We bring out our Bible, our big truth canon, and we say, boom, you're wrong, and I'm right, and you're an idiot. And that is not gentle. There's nothing gentle. Look, you've got to be able to engage on an intellectual level to defend your faith, but you have to do it with gentleness and what? And, and respect. You actually have to view the atheist swine, that lowly scum of the earth, that person that you detest with gentleness and respect. I was being completely sarcastic there. I don't know if you got that. Okay. But you see, we have these attitudes. We have these prejudices in, in us that is automatically going to judge somebody. And we see them through the religious eyes and not Jesus' eyes. That makes sense? And so, the gentle 
sweet spirit of the soul will see all of humanity and will approach them with respect and kindness, generosity of spirit. I'm not saying compromise on the values. I'm not saying ever compromising on the truth, but do you want to win an argument or do you want to save a soul? I've won arguments. I'd rather save souls. I don't want to win the fight. I want, to, I want to win the soul. Does that make sense? So what's, what, what, are you, what's, what are you after? Are you after about being right? Or are you after redemption? After transformation? After changing the world? So this is the way to do it. Believe it or not, it's done through gentleness. All right. Galatians 6, if we continue on the study of the fruit, Galatians 5 is the fruit of the Spirit. The next chapter in chapter 6 says, um, Brothers and sisters, when you, when you catch somebody, saying, church folks, Granite Creek, when you catch somebody in sin, when you see somebody that has blown it, you are to get the Bible out and pour out guilt and shame so they'll straighten up. That's what it says. It doesn't say that. No. It says when you see somebody that has fallen, when you see somebody that has faded away or has fallen through the cracks, that maybe they've had a moral failure of some sort, what's it, what is, what's it say? What, is, what does Paul say in Galatians right after he talks about the fruit? He says you restore them. How? Gently. See, God is all about the restoration process. He came to restore humanity, believe it or not, gently. The most violent thing in the kingdom clash of warfare was the cross. Yet Jesus gently calls us to the cross. It's presented. Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they're gentlemen. They call us in. They don't force us into you know that God doesn't force you in, in, into his presence? Like, I might force you to come to church, like, make you feel guilty and stuff, because, you know, I just need, to, I need some warm bodies in here. So, um, so I might make you feel bad about not going to church, but the Holy Spirit and God never does. They never force you into his presence. You know what? You, you say scary prayers like, God, not my will, but your will. Then he'll come in and wreck you. You say scary prayers like, I want more of you. I want to experience more power, more divine influence in my life. He'll come in and wreck you. I prayed last Wednesday, God, I would like to have more joy. That's that's like the fruit that I would like to have in my life. Um, He answered that. I mean, so much joy that I just physically unable to contain it. He will... Be careful what you pray for. He will give it to you. And you might not like it. You might change your mind after the fact. All right. Next major point is that gentleness, the spirit, spirit of gentleness, it's multifaceted. It's extremely complex. It's more complex than you realize. There's different... Oh, uh, that song that we sung today. Your love is like, like diamonds, radiant diamonds or whatever. That's what, 
I mean, we're talking about love in, in, in essence, right? Gentleness, it, it's all part of fruit. Um, and gentleness is multifaceted. It's, all right, you know what I said about it being a sissy word, right? And before Jesus came, it was. Like gentle people, gentle, gentleness in the, in the Greco-Roman world, in the ancient world, uh, that's, that was derogatory, if you wanted to insult somebody, you called them gentle. You called them a sissy. You said, you're gentle. That's how you mocked somebody. David caught it. David understood the heart of Christ more than anybody else. So you'll see it in the Psalms, but that's about it. But it was not, it was not a respected Roman virtue. We always talk about the Roman, well, we talk about the virtues, right? But uh, gentleness was not one of them. And if you think about our culture, it's not there either, and I'll explain it to you in a second. And we might think that people are gentle and, it's, and it's, it's, we like it, whatever. But as we, get, as we begin to unpack and define what gentleness really is, you will see that our culture does not like it. Our culture loves what Pastor Larry taught about last week, about generosity, about social justice issues. Like the, like the culture's gonna get behind that. It's like, oh yeah, church, yeah, we agree with you. You know, we, we want social justice issues taken care of, and people ought to be generous, and yeah, and, and you know, let's, let's, let's move society forward. We can, get, we can get behind you on that, but once we start talking and unpacking gentleness, this is where we're against the wind. Our culture does not like what we're going to talk about next, because if you take this word, if you take this gentleness, and if you look at it in the original language, it's defined as meekness, another big sissy word that guys don't like. Meek. But even Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek for they shall what? They shall inherit the earth. So it is in God's heart to give control of the earth to meek people, not powerful people, meek people. What is that? So it is God's will to give control of the earth to sissies? No. No. Okay, you ready for this? The definition of meekness is power under control. Could you imagine if the world leaders had power under control? But they don't. They're, they're grown-up gang members. If you look at a country sideways, sabers start rattling and the glocks start coming out. We act like a bunch of babies, our world leaders do. They're so insecure. Meekness is power that's under control. See, you're beginning to see how multifaceted generosity is. It's also, another word that describes gentleness is tolerance. Word Christians don't like. We don't want to be tolerant, right? We just don't. But the spirit behind tolerance is to say, look at a soul and say, I see you. Can you do that with people? Can you do that with your Muslim neighbor? I see you. Even though I don't agree, I respect your humanity. Right? Can we do that? That's what, that's what the gentle soul does. All right, and then the next major facet to the gentle soul is humility. 
Another big sissy word that guys don't like. But the humble spirit, humility. Okay, why? Again, not a Roman virtue. Humble people get rolled over. Humble people get abused. Humble people get taken advantage of. Who's our model for this thing called Christianity? Jesus. He demonstrated humility to us. And his, his command for us is to, to look like him and to be like him and to act like him and to do what he did. We like to do the miracles. I like to, I, I'll pray for sick people all day long and, and I just, I'm, if I get one, I'm excited about it. I want to do what Jesus did. Humility? Ah, come on. God, leave me alone. I got my own plans and humility is not one of them. We don't, we don't, let's look into it deeper. We don't like to admit that we need humility. Okay. Why? Why is this a problem? Humility in our culture is sharply contrasted by uh, an expressive individualism, right? We all, individualism, we want to be our own, our own person. We have our own identity. We have our own uh, thumbprint. We have our own internet character, our avatars, our Facebook pages, right? So, and we express ourselves. It's the expressive individualism. It's celebrated in, in, in the Bible, by the way, but it's dangerous in that um, all beauty, all affirmation, and even all divine experience comes from self. And if you, if you start thinking yourself into the circles that you are divine, wow, that, that couldn't be further from humility. Once we become, and this, is, this goes all the way back to the garden, folks, you want to be our own God. We don't want somebody outside of our own realm of experience telling us what is right and what is wrong and what to do and where to go and who to love on. The condition of our human heart is to actually live forever in glory. We want, we want meaning, we want purpose, and we actually come to the realization that we are going to die that's not fun, but, we're, but we, we know this, right? Everybody, everybody in this room has experienced death, but we know that there's something wrong with that because it goes against, it goes against our spirit because we know that we were made to live forever. And so we have the same problem that the devil himself had. The devil himself wanted to be God, wanted to have control, wanted to receive glory. And... Part of our problem is we, not only do we want to be in control of our own lives, but we want to receive glory too. We want meaning and purpose. That's what we're after. We know that there's something more in life, and so we're after meaning and purpose. We're after glory. Okay. Do you guys know what the opposite of humility and gentleness and um, meekness is? Pride, thank you. Pride. Pride is the exact opposite. And, and we can see pride being manifested everywhere in our culture. And it's easy to point fingers. 
We can, we can actually pick out and, and finger prideful people all day long, especially at election time, right? We can see when people, and we, and we actually celebrate this, like we're all for the express, expressive individualism because we take part in it in ourselves. But like, I don't know, when Miley Cyrus thinks that she is all that, you know, eventually she burns her bridges, right? It's like, this is too much. She's ridiculous, and we mock her, but she still sells stuff, so it doesn't make any sense. She, she knows this. Um, it's all part of the game. But then, but you see, we see that the creative person is now uh, warped and twisted, like Justin Bieber, right? He still makes money. It's, it's yeah, anyway. Um, but you see the point. So our, our, our view of them has gone from, okay, they're really cool and talented, and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're gifted to they're just jerks. You know, they're, they're so into themselves, but I'm still going to partake in this weird obsession, right? Okay. So pride is the opposite. Now, pride manifests itself into this drivenness that I talked about in 2 Timothy, this drivenness that to succeed and to compete, but it's actually tied into um, outdoing other people. Again, ambition and, and drive and, and wanting to have a successful life, those are not bad things. That's how God wired us. I, like when I was in the antique dealer, I, just, I love objects, right? I love an old candlestick. I love, if I could ever get my hands on a Fabergé egg, that would be like the piece de resistance. I mean, it would just be like, oh, like I'd have an altar in my bedroom with a Fabergé egg or something. <laughs> and I know. Um, and I enjoy it, right? This, the source of my pleasure for an object comes from joy. That's good, actually. Do you know that you can enjoy your stuff? Like God, maybe, I don't know, maybe God gave you a really cool boat. He wants you to enjoy the boat, but the source of the pleasure ought to come from the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. But we, when we strive wrongly, when we are ambitious in a negative sense, is when we want our boat to be bigger than the other guy's boat, right? I noticed this when I was an antique dealer because I loved the stuff that I would find. I'd find these treasures. And then I'd heard that, and I would hear that my arch nemesis, Tim, Tim Gurley, had something cooler than my object, <laughs> right? Do you see what I'm getting at? So it wasn't about enjoying the cool object. It was about enjoying something that was better than his, do you see where I'm going? That is, that's the source of our, of our fallen nature. What? Money is the root of all evil? The Bible doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. It is this desire to have more than the other guy or the other girl that's the problem with our human condition. And so God wants us to get us to a place where, yes, we can enjoy the money, but it's not about comparison and it's not about competition, sort of. Competitors, like a true competitor, a godly competitor, 
will find joy in the conquering of something, whether if he does it or whether his competitor does it. Like, I don't know, the fastest mile, right? So there's just competitors running against the fastest mile. They're so close to breaking the record. The guy in second place, is, if he has a character of Christ, he's going to celebrate the guy that, that, that won. That's difficult to do. But see, it's not about the competition. It's about the time. It's about the mountain that needs to be scaled and defeated. Does that make sense? Uh, rock climbers are the most competitive people on the planet, yet they celebrate and root each other on. Who does that? Okay. Okay, next major dimension of pride that goes against humility and gentleness and meekness is this area of, of uh, contempt. Scornfulness. I might want to have the, the best object, but maybe, maybe I can't. Maybe I'm lazy and I choose to level off here, but I still want to be better than everybody else. So I don't want to do the work. So I'm going to have contempt for other people and it's expressed in putting people down. It's expressed in tearing people up. It's expressed in... Um, looking down your nose at people, no matter who they are. So pride is expressed in this, uh, I'm going to manipulate circumstances so other people fail, so I don't have to work hard to succeed. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You did this in high school. It's bad-mouthing. It's, it's uh, mocking. When was the last time you mocked somebody? Like they weren't in the room, you're with your friends and your family and you mocked somebody, made them look bad even though they weren't around. Or maybe they were around and you mocked them. It's scornfulness, it's pride, it's the opposite of gentleness. Similar, the next one is uh, this, this desire to, to be right, this willful desire to make sure you have that you are right and everybody's wrong. Um, it's, it's a problem that can come up in any church or any family situation. Uh, it happens when, when families are working out politics. Uh, it happens when churches are trying to figure out theology. Um, it happens when, when you're insecure about something. It is this attitude that says, I am right. My position on this is right. And I'm not going to consider anything else. This is why there's mul multiple denominations in churches. It's because this, this camp over here says, okay, this is, this is, how, this is what the Bible means, and, and this is our theology, and this is, this is right. And if you guys don't believe this, you're wrong. And it's even gotten to the place where it's not only are you wrong, but you're going to hell. That's how sharp this can get. And the gentle man or the gentle woman will say, all right, these are my values. These are my convictions. I'm open to change. 
That's, that's tough, huh? You know that I have changed my opinions on things over the years? You know that there, there's been some, none of them have been, by the way, none of them have been core doctrine. Like the, the divinity of Christ is a non-negotiable. The, uh, the goodness of God is a non-negotiable. The, the Trinity is a non-negotiable. But there's other things that are like, okay, well, this isn't even in the Bible, so why are we arguing about this? Right? All right, I'll consider it. Some stuff I take, some stuff I've tossed out. Some stuff that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? But see, the question that the gentle person asks is, am I so stuck in my ways, or am I still teachable? In order to, to be a disciple of Christ, in order to experience the graces, in order, to, in, order, in order to have a humble, gentle, meek life, you have to be teachable. You have to have a teachable spirit. Meaning that you have to be able to receive instruction and correction from your brothers and sisters. And can you do that? Or is this pride that will say, no, nope, you can't tell me what to do? That's tough business, right? All right, and the next area of pride that is kind of the counterfeit to, um, to gentleness is self-consciousness. Okay, so we're, again, we're, we're, uh, uh, our, our, our society is all about the self. So we find all of our, ma- all of our affirmation by looking at ourselves and, and how cool our Facebook page is and all this kind of stuff. Um, pride expressed in self is when we start bragging we start boasting about, I don't know, how many boats we do have on the dock. And I have more boats than you do. Or, you know, I'm super successful and influential and super smart, and I'm going, to, I'm going to inform you about how smart I really am, right? Isn't this annoying? You know these people. Or I have such an incredible grasp on this issue that um, I am the authority on it and I'm going to drop some information on you and tell you what it's really like. Or just just boasting and bragging and, you know, look what I got and look what you don't have. Okay, so we're aware of this, right? You know these people. You know, you know braggers and, and people that, that think that they're all that. And that, that's pride. Okay, you ready for this? You know what else is pride? Self-contempt. Self-loathing is pride. Uh, this is going to be tough for some of you. Insecurity is a manifestation of pride. I'll explain this. I know that's tough because I know we, we all deal with insecurities. But insecurity that traps you is an expression and a manifestation of pride. How so? All right, let's look. Mm-mm. It all boils down to humility. Are we humble? All right. Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit as being one big giant thing. Even though there's nine little facets to it, the fruit is one thing. And what he's saying is people that are experiencing joy, yet they're not gentle, will become arrogant. 
people that are expressive with generosity and they're givers in that area, but they don't have the fruit of gentleness and humility and meekness, well, they, they become condescending. Do you see where I'm going with this? So this humility is kind of the thing that balances everything out and that it, that it is needed. Humility says, I am not God. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to explain the insecurity thing as we go into the next point. The last point is, how do we actually increase in humility? Here's the problem. Here is the huge thing that's going to hurt your brain right now. You can't ask, how do I increase in humility? My, my grandfather had this plaque on his desk in, in his office. And he, was, he was a pastor, and it was a cartoon plaque, and it was of this fancy guy with a fancy suit and, and a pipe or whatever, and he's looking down at somebody, and he said, oh, I thank God every single day that I am so incredibly humble, right? You can't teach yourself how to be humble. You can't say, oh, man, Pastor Josh says I have to become more humble, so Let's be more humble. How do I become more humble? I need to be humble. I need to be humble. I, 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 I need to be humble. Let's be humble. Josh, focus on being humble. What's the problem? It's all about me. See, humility, true humility, the way that Jesus expressed it is that he emptied himself. So how do we actually increase in humility? We increase in humility um, by not studying humility. <laughs> I know. I told you it was going to hurt your head. So how do we do it? You've got to quit thinking about yourself. That's the number one thing. We've got to quit thinking about ourselves. And even though we can't go after humility, we can go after pride. We can go after the ego. You just you, you shelf humility and you start working on, okay, what are my motivations? Am I a jerk? Check. I am a jerk. Am I selfish? Check. Yes, I am selfish. And, and, and you, you, do a, you do an inventory on your ego. You kind of you just got to ignore humility. And you start working on your ego and say, okay, where, where do I need to, to work on things? Okay. The scripture that we need to focus on is huge. I'll get to it at the end. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4 says, A prisoner for the Lord, then. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And it, the calling that you received is actually a divine calling. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And the way that this gets translated is the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace is that the, the, the Spirit of peace, the unity of peace, is actually produced in the Spirit. You see, what we're talking about here, the, the depth of gentleness, is that in some way the title of the series is wrong, Building Blocks of Spiritual Formation. Because what we're really talking about, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, what we're really talking about is that it's not the, the fruit of my character. You catch this. This is so important. 
This is not the fruit of your character. Love, joy, peace, those things. Not the fruit of your character. They are what? The fruit of what? Spirit. Meaning that it is an internal job. You cannot... Cognitive thought therapy tells you you can smile, watch funny cat videos, and you're going to be happy. True statement. Right? But that's external. What we're talking about here is we're talking about an inside indwelling of the Holy Spirit that produces joy, not external circumstances. And the reason why Paul used the, the, the illustration of fruit is that it's alive and that it's an organic thing. He didn't use the illustration of building blocks. And when he talks about, when he contrasts all these negative things like adultery and lust and orgies and you know, divisiveness and, and witchcraft, when he talks about all those things in chapter 4, uh, he does not mix his metaphors. He does not say, well, these are the weeds of the Spirit, these, these ne- negative things. No. See, we can choose to decide to build a life of character with, with tangible building blocks, or we can choose to build a life of Christ's character with the Spirit, with the fruit of the Spirit. And again, it's an internal job. And like I said, there might, you might, your neighbor might be a gentle person, but that does not mean that she has the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness. Does that make sense? So we all can get it, right? Okay. Actions in your life, they don't produce fruit. Gentleness, again, it's an inside job. It's all eternal. Look, look at this. Look at this. Just listen to this verse. Uh, this part won't make sense, but what Jesus says will. And the tongue is a flame of fire, James 3. The tongue is a flame of fire. It's full of wickedness. So whatever comes out of your mouth is just nasty, all right? It's full of wickedness and poison. And it poisons every part of the body. And the tongue is set on fire by hell itself and can turn our whole lives into a blazing flame of destruction and disaster. That's how powerful your words are. They can destroy your life. They can destroy your family's life. No human being can tame the tongue. It is always ready to pour out its deadly poison. This is what Jesus says about the tongue. Whatever is in the heart overflows in speech. What's he saying? The influences of this world, they don't dictate what comes out of your mouth. You know that? Really? It is the condition of your heart that speaks these evil things. Isn't that hard to get? What do we do when we have problems, when we have difficulties? We're constantly focusing on our problems. Whatever, you know, whatever we're resisting is what we're focusing on. You know, it's my lust, it's my lust, it's my lust. Mine, 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 mine. And, but the only way that you're going to get transformed is if you, if you let it come from the inside out. Why do you say all these horrible things? There's a problem with your heart. Gosh, do you guys get that? That's why the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is so important. And if you don't get this, if you don't let the Holy Spirit transform you today, and if you're struggling with something, and you're just losing like all the time, like you keep on falling and falling and blowing it and blowing it, 
It's going to continue to happen unless you let the Holy Spirit do a deep healing inside of you. It's going to keep on happening. You, you can't, you don't have the will or the power to succeed in overcoming your problems in life. It's just impossible. These temptations are going to kill you because all you do is you're just focusing on them. First Peter, and this is a little bit out of context because he's talking about relationships between men and women, but he says, uh, but let it be the inward adorning and beauty of the hidden person of the heart. Okay, do you see that amazing way to frame it? The inward beauty of the hidden person of the heart. So we have a hidden person in our heart. Your spiritual person, your spiritual man, your spiritual woman. I don't know if it has a gender, probably not. But your spiritual man. So it's trying to get out. It's in communion. It ought to be in communion with the Holy Spirit. God sees it as being beautiful. With incorruptible and unfading charm of a gentle and peaceful spirit. You see why gentleness is so important when living our lives? The spirit of gentleness. Because it's charm. It will actually get more accomplished. Proverbs says that the, um, that gentle, that harsh words causes fights, but gentleness will break bones. It will break strongholds. Amazing. Heart that's subject to the spirit. Your heart, if it's subject to the spirit, if your inner man, if your inner person is subject to what the Holy Spirit wants to do, it will become gentle. It will, it will become joyful. It will become generous. It will become faithful. It will become kind. It will know how to love better. The heart, the inner man, has to be subject to the spirit. Okay, so here we go. How do we increase in this? How do you have, especially if you're struggling with insecurity, how do you increase in gentleness, in, in faith, or in, in humility? All right, and again, it's an insight. If you're asking yourself, how, I want to become humble, Lord, help me become a humble, then again, you're thinking about yourself. Okay, ready? Here we go. You have to empty yourself, and you have to stop looking at yourself. And in Philippians 2, it describes how to do it. Uh, Philippians 2 is a masterpiece, by the way. Uh, it was meant to be sung. You know, a lot of our scripture was meant to be sung or chanted, and I don't know, you just have to listen to me, like, read it. But it's not how it's supposed to be communicated. And you don't want me to sing it. Because I have no rhythm. There's the reason why I'm not in the worship team. But it needs to be expressed through our emotions in worship and even in song. So... I know I can't do it justice, but just listen. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Here we go. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, 
in what? In humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to each of your, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, here we go, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. What's important to you? My reputation is important to me, right? Hmm? I got, I, it's important to me. I'll admit that. You know, if somebody starts making up stories about me, th- there's, there's going to be issues, right? I'm going to make some phone calls, right? I don't need people making up lies. So I, 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 I know you all feel the same way. You're out to protect your reputation. Jesus gave up his reputation. He considered he became nothing. That's what, it actually translates into reputation and not nothing. He made himself nothing. Himself of no reputation. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue shall acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. How do we become humble? We become humble by not thinking about becoming humble. We become humble by doing what Jesus did. He emptied himself. Theologians debate this. What does that mean? He emptied himself of his glory, of his power. Some people say his divinity. We don't go there. We're right, they're wrong. (laughs) You guys see what I'm saying? It's a big, giant theological debate. When Jesus was on the planet... Was he fully man? Was he fully God? How could you be both? I don't know. It's confusing. We're going to stick with the he emptied himself of his glory. He's still fully God, fully man, yet he stripped, purposely he humbled himself to take on human flesh. That's why nativity is so important. Purposely he humbled himself to become a, a, a baby that could get killed at any moment. The vulnerability, he entered in, he not only did he enter into the planet, but he entered into poverty. He knows every single frustration every single disappointment, fear, loss that you've ever experienced. He was tortured, he was beaten, he was hung like a piece of meat on a stick for you. He emptied himself of everything, of his glory. Here's the interesting thing about the kingdom of heaven. It's all upside down. He emptied himself, he became low. The most powerful entity in creation became human, low, and God exalted him as being high. What does the Bible say about the kingdom of heaven, about being a servant? If you want to be first, you've got to become what? If you want to go high, you've got to go what? Low. If you want to be a leader, you have to what? Serve. 
This is what God models to us. This is what Jesus did. He emptied himself. So if you're struggling with insecurity, you know, we can talk later. You can call me. If I hurt your feelings, let's just call me, please. Don't go home bitter. But you're thinking about yourself too much. Insecure people spend way too much time thinking about themselves and their own problems and how people have hurt them. And to be free from that is to not look at yourself. You're like, okay, Josh, well, I'll look at other people then. That's the other problem. Oh, you're not being humble. (laughs) You are being selfish, right? This is what we do. What, what, What do we do? Don't look at yourself. Don't look at other people. You stare into the face of Jesus. That's the way out, folks. You empty yourself and you just look at Jesus. You consider others better than yourself. I don't want to do that because I'm smarter than everybody else. We say these things, don't we? We got to do it. We have to humble ourselves. We have to become a servant. We have to become lowly. We have to hard to do. All right, I'm done. Let's get the band up here. All right, so here's some questions for you. Can you be meek? Can you have power under control? Can you go after pride in your life? Can you, in a way, try to go after, can you humble yourself before the Lord? All right, humble's a bad word, right? We can't figure that one out. Can you surrender? Mm. Can you surrender to God's will in your life? Can you just give up? Again, I can't, force anybody to come to church, force anybody to come into the presence of God. See, he gently calls us. Jesus says, come unto me, my yoke is light, and I am gentle. So he gently calls us into his presence. And all we have to do is surrender to his grace. That is the decision that we, it's the decision that we make but it resides in humility. Do you know that? You know that humility might be the thing that keeps you from heaven? Like all the other gifts you might be able to get by with. Like you can be stingy and still go to heaven, right? You could be grumpy and still go to heaven. Uh, You can be mean and still go to heaven. You can be unfaithful and still go to heaven but can you really not be humble and go to heaven? Ooh, think about that, right? Do you see why this one's so important? Do you see why it's such a big deal? We have to humble ourselves. It's the only way that we can get in. Let's bow your heads, close your eyes. If I got the ushers come to the front. With all your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you want to surrender yourself to Jesus, raise your hand today. All right, I'll... Thank you, God. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. 
Let's pray this prayer together in your minds. Just repeat after me in your, in your mind, and, and everybody needs to say it. Father, I have sinned. I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I accept the, the incredible work that you've done on the cross, the expression of grace, and the humility that you came and expressed on the planet. I receive your plan for salvation for my life today. Now, Holy Spirit, I invite you in. I invite you into my inner man. I invite you to be a powerful force in my life. God, I, I want you to show me visions. God, I want not only to have this, this character and the graces of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, but God, I, I want to be able to, to function in the gifts of the Spirit as well. God, I pray that you'll help me to love people well, to be gracious with people well, to be generous with people, to be faithful with people, to be long-suffering, to have joy when I'm around people. And I pray that you give me not only this fruit that's organic, but these gifts that will empower my life, and I expect to receive them today. God, I pray that you would just bless this offering to to an incredible links, God. We thank you so much for your faithfulness and in, in providing. God, we thank you for a provision for this store and we thank you for provision for this church. We thank you for provision for, and we thank you for all the beautiful people that you brought in through the nativity. And thank you so much for that, God. That we were a light to, on Friday night. Bless this offering, God, in your name.